0: Hey everybody, Dave and Jeff on a Monday night special podcast. The music's a little bit different because it was the walk-up song of our guest.
1: Uh, Dave, one of our all-time favorites, going back a long, long time. Always a blast when he's in the garage, especially this time of, you, uh, this time of year. Hi, Brett Boone. How you doing, brother? Hi, guys. <laughs> it is uh, great to see you, Dave. I think you got to fix Brett's mic a little bit. Give him a little volume and we'll get him squared away. Brett, you still get fired up right now, October playoffs, or, or are you able to just kind of pick and choose what games you want to watch? You
2: know, it's it seems like um, it's year to year. Sometimes I'm really looking forward to it. Sometimes I'm kind of busy. This year I've, with the kids, I've been kind of back-burnering it. And now it's getting close, and it's, you know, I'm starting to watch a little mm-hmm. bit and see how everybody's lining up. And, you know, I'm always going to have the interest with when um, – Dad's Nationals are are in the in the postseason, and, and of course Aaron with the Yankees. So I start to usually start to pay a little more attention now. So I, I've been kind of trying, and I and I heard I was gonna I had to come on the show, so I had to
0: start faking my
2: research on <laughs> no, a little. We'll bit, look out a little we'll bit. Look There's only like so long I can wing
0: it. <laughs> yeah. All right, I got to ask you, what is it like in your mother's house? Okay, because as you said, your dad's vice president with the Nationals. Your brother's the manager of the New York Yankees. What does your mother do when the Nationals and Yankees are playing at the same time? Obviously, your dad's not going to be on TV, but where's her allegiance, towards her husband or towards her son?
2: Well, I, I, I think because Aaron's in uniform and down there, and it's her son, uh, probably her allegiance is there. But I I don't know. Mom's pretty – she's pretty – She's pretty passionate about all of them. And then you throw Jake, uh, my oldest son, into the mix. So, you know, this summer was an example. Jake's playing back in in Virginia, and every one of his games is on, you know, you you can get it online. Yeah. So, I mean, these two knuckleheads all go over to Mom's (laughs) house for dinner, and we got iPads, got Jake's game. They're following that. They're watching it because it's simulcast. So They've got video. And you've got another iPod or iPad over here watching the Yankee game. And then dad's watching Washington. Yeah. So, I mean, and they're serious. They got all three going. And if they miss something, they're texting me, Brett, what happened in this? And I'm going,
3: I don't, you know. (laughs) I, I I, I don't like
2: to say, I don't care, Mom, because I do care. I want dad's team to do well. I want Aaron's team to do well. I want my son to do well. But I'm not watching... You know, she, she doesn't get, she came over the other night and, you know, I was watching the news and she said, who turn on the Yankee game? I said, mom, yeah, we can. And I figured I'd need to watch a little bit anyway, see what's, what's going on. And, you know, I turned the channel. It's, I think it was like 11 to three in the seventh. She's like, well, wh- why'd you turn the channel? I said, i got got stuff to do you know go watch aaron go watch aaron manage in the dugout somewhere else you know we've got other tvs yeah it's hilarious you know i i want aaron to do as well as you do but i don't really care to watch him manage it's it's really not you
1: know it's like let's go feed the fish (laughs) Dave, we know the answer to that too because we're all we're all parents. Yeah. And we all have sons. I, I yeah. Come I take on.
2: that it because you know, I, I find myself with my son. Right. I mean, I'm hanging you know, I'm I'm in the car and I've got it yeah. on my phone and it's on, you the know, one thing. of those magnets and man yeah. if, if if the feed cuts out or something, I am calling. What what did Jake do his life to bat? Yeah. It, because it is your
1: son and it and it's it's different. And there's a bond between mother and son in every family. Dads all know where the silver medal winners. I'll tell you. When I was
2: a kid, I remember growing up. And, man, I I couldn't miss watching the dad's game. Oh, yeah. Philly game. I mean, it's like, oh, you know, I was... I didn't have a favorite player. I loved all the players. Sure, but I had a special interest in how Dad was doing because I'm like, Dad, you got to get your average over 250. You know, <laughs> so I, I was always. How old are you
1: when you're coaching him to get over 250? How old are you <sighs> at that point?
2: Right, six. <laughs> That's hilarious. But I'm like, yeah, but but I had a I had an understanding of what if he was doing well. What sure. that meant, I could just look at the numbers on the screen and go, I, I know this is good. This is okay. This isn't so good. This is really good. So I was pretty, I was pretty much in sync. I knew exactly what Dad was doing. Oh my goodness! And so as much right. as I was just watching the game, I, I had a particular interest for Dad.
0: That is mm-hmm. awesome. I mean, and it, right. It, I mean, it's so incredible when we talk about baseball and how hard it is to make it as a oh, baseball man. player. That basically everyone in your family has made it in baseball. In front of you, I gave you a card. It's been on my desk for about five months. I see you all the time, and I completely forget forgotten to give it to you and it's your grandfather who you had an incredibly close relationship with Mm -hmm. but i was like it's ridiculous that this is on my desk somebody gave this to me and i said i will definitely hand it off to brett but when you sit there and you look at your grandfather and you see ray boone on that card what goes through your mind when you think about your memory of your grandfather i got
3: got a lot
2: so many good memories with grandpa because i was like you said i was very close with him um he was probably my er earliest influence as far as baseball because my parents got married very early, had me very young. And Dad, uh, they had me when he was still in college. So, you know, back then it was pretty normal for, for a player to, especially when you go to Stanford, to get your degree, you know, go for four years. And then <clears throat> if you got drafted, you go into the draft. Um, but Dad got drafted, <clears throat> and he was, uh, I think, a reserve in the Army for a, small, a short time, and they were young. And I spent a lot of time with my grandpa at my early, early childhood. I mean, from the time I was born till I was two, I spent a ton of time with grandpa. So we had a bond at a very early age. And, uh, you know, I'd mow the lawn with him and, you know, I hear stories and I can remember certain things. I remember that catching gear that that I'd get up, you know, when I was one years old and I'd wake Gramps up at five and let's play catch. And uh, then he reminded me and I see old movies and it's pretty cool, but, um, no, what a, what a great, it, it, as you get older, you get a little more nostalgic, and, and I think, you know, when I was in my heyday, and in the middle of my career, um, I think it's just second nature, all of us are kind of selfish to a certain degree, and I, and I think when I was in the middle of my career, I had more things to think about, it's like, no, I get, you know, I got to do good, I got to do good, I got to earn a living, and, and put up these numbers, and, and, yeah, there's Gramps, and my parents, and, You kind of take for granted your relationships and, uh, you know, then one day when they're gone, it's like, wow, that was really cool what I had. And, uh, you appreciate things. And I think as we all get older, we, we appreciate things that we didn't appreciate 30 years ago. Uh, but now we look at it and go, wow, we were pretty lucky, pretty lucky, you know, pretty lucky to have this guy in my life for a long time. And he taught me a lot and, uh, man, he was funny. And just the arguments and, and the stories and, you just tell that story for the 10th time, Gramps, and I'd be like, yeah, you're wearing me out. <laughs> and then now you think, man, I wish you could tell me for the right. 11th time. Yeah. So uh, you learn to appreciate stuff like that, but, yeah, that's a good man right there and taught me a lot.
0: What yeah. would he, I don't mean to interrupt you, Jeff, no, but you're all good. T- just curious, what would he think because having <laughs> known you and, and, and been around your dad a lot too because you, you've brought your dad to, to the games that I've coached for a number of years and we've seen Aaron at, at different games and the fact that Aaron gets the Yankee job. And I remember your dad was almost brought to tears with it. And you and I were kind of talking. I, I w- would tell you, I said, I think Aaron's getting this Yankee job. And you, you guys, I think, just knew it. You just didn't want to jinx it and, and, and say anything. But when you talk about the history of baseball, I mean, there, there's one team that has all those championships, and it's the New York Yankees, that your your brother, you're obviously, you know, Ray's grandson's managing the Yankees. Yep. What would he think?
2: Oh, he was the, the proudest Man, how can I put it? He, he was so proud of his era, uh, but that didn't hold a candle to how proud he was of his family. Uh, and he was a guy that would never show it to you in front of your face. You know, he'd never never give me a compliment to my face. You know, he'd be waiting for me. You know, we'd come into town to play the Padres, and Gramps lived here. So, of course, I had the 30 tickets that I left, and everybody would wait for me after the game. I'd come out there and uh you know i could have a great game and you know i was four for five tonight hit a three-run homer and i'd see all my aunts and uncles and gramps would just be sitting in the back like he wanted his special time yeah and yeah. i would get to him and he'd be like what happened that fifth at bat <laughs> Gramps, i was yeah. unbelievable for four yeah. and he's like yeah well that fifth at bat, come on you just got a little greedy and chased that breakable ball down i said i didn't mean to but uh, <laughs> that was the beauty of him but he was the guy that Never would give you credit, but I'll tell you, as soon as you turn your back and walk away, he would tell anybody in shouting range, see that kid right there? That's a real player right there. That's, that's cool. awesome. Or, or same thing with grandma. I mean, in front of grandma, my grandma was a saint, especially putting up with him. <laughs> <laughs> but it never would give her credit. She'd walk away and he'd go, they don't make them like they used to. That woman right there, that's the best woman on this earth. And she he would tell anyone that would listen. That's how Gramps operated. My dad's pretty similar. And now as my dad's getting a little older, I listen to him and it's like,
3: grandpa. And my mom will say,
2: that's your grandpa. And I say, yeah, it is. Um But, uh, he, oh man, he would be <clears throat> real proud of, of the things we've done and been able to accomplish as a family. And I, I think he'd be getting his biggest kick right now of, of watching Jacob and seeing, you know, the next one, yeah. is, is he going to make it?
3: And, yeah.
2: and, uh, that was always his pride, the next guy, you know? And, uh, um, yeah so
1: that's really cool but when you watch jake are you do you find yourself being more like your grandfather your dad or can you be the guy that acknowledges the first four at bats before talking at bat the fifth at bat if you even bring it up
3: well
2: you know the the great qualities gramps and dad have both very uh knowledgeable guys um Mm -hmm. I'm a little different than them. I tend to be a little more rational about everything. I'll tell you, my uh, my dad was great growing up as far as not putting anything on me. Not, you know, Gramps got on me a little bit, but Dad would always stay in the back, wait for me to come to him. I do the same thing with Jacob. Uh, for me now, that it's getting to more of a serious level of wow, he's going to have a chance here. Yeah, um, I really have to fight to take off the dad hat because the dad in me wants, you know. He's the best, and he's going to be yeah. the greatest. <laughs> yeah. But I got to evaluate him from a professional standpoint and really look at him and go, okay, he's, he's this. He can improve on this. He can improve on that. And I'm always giving him positive reinforcements. Jake's mm-hmm. got a real good head on his shoulders. I mean, he goes to school in the East Coast, and and I talk to him a couple times a week. And he's he makes it easy for me because I don't have to worry about him. He's yeah. such a capable kid, and he's so on top of everything that all he does is work out practice and study so great. and he's one of those kids that you just let him go and it's like we don't have to worry about him. yeah he's like more mature than i am so uh that's pretty cool but it's you know he's getting to a point where he keeps improving he's getting better at this you know he has some shortcomings and wow he's really taking care of that he's starting to run faster now and uh but i really stay away from him because he he knows i know my role he knows when to come to me. He he's got always got a lot of questions for me, yeah. and I know if he if he doesn't, he's not asking questions. That he's feeling pretty good right now. He goes to my dad for separate reasons. Um, you know, for the mechanics of hitting, mm. it seems like him and dad have a better rapport when it comes to, you know, things that my dad says click with him from a mechanical standpoint. Not interesting. But wow. Jake knows when he's got a uh, a question, how to think, or what he should have been thinking in this situation, or how does he prepare for this at bat. He comes yeah. to me. Because me and him have that rapport where I can get it through to him. This is what you do in this. Is. And I was much more of a thinker than my dad was anyway. I think my dad epitomized thinking as a catcher. Yeah. As far as getting into your head yeah. as a hitter, because uh, you know now that I look back and I watch and I kind of study what my dad used to do, and and then that's what the great catchers did to me. It, it, I could care less if they if they how they catch and throw. It's how mm-hmm. they called the game. And how they played cat and mouse with me in the box. Man, if I got one of those real smart catchers. Who drove here. you nuts?
3: Who
1: owned you? You know what I mean. Well, no, no catcher
2: head? owned me. But the guys that I knew that it was on tonight, yeah. and it's a major chess match. I mean, the Veritex of the world. Oh, okay. Got it. Um, you know, Osmus was smart. He, he, he could, he would, he'd be thinking along with me. You know, the smartest that drove me crazy because he's my dad's kind of generation and good friends of my my parents I mean mm-hmm. one of one of my parents best friends husband and wife is Lance Parrish and his wife oh wow so I grew up with Lance yeah you know as as Lance was you know he plays with you know he plays against dad so he's from a right. different generation but I caught him at the end of his career at the beginning of my career and he was a backup in Pittsburgh and I'll tell you he got in my head and I'm going <laughs> Man, Uncle Lance is getting in my head, and <laughs> yeah. I hated it because it's it's almost like he knew. It's like Veritek. I remember i come to the plate, and I had a, an approach against certain people, but he just knew. You know, If I come up with the bases loaded and, and an 0-0 count, and I take a fastball for a strike, he knows... Brett doesn't take a fastball for a strike with, with runners out there. So he's looking for something else. And he knew that. So he'd stand up and kind of give me a look like uh, we're looking for that
3: one. We? <laughs> now the game's on. Yeah.
2: Now he's thinking like me. So yeah. now I'm thinking, do I have to go against what I'd normally be thinking? God, so there's It
0: was a pretty cool. How often do hitters and catchers speak to one another?
2: Um, <clears throat> I didn't like talking to guys at yep.
0: all. Whether
2: I liked you or I didn't like you. Other than when I come to the plate and I tap you, hey, what's going on? Hey, Booney. Now it's business, and I didn't, I didn't like nor did I appreciate if anyone had anything to say during the at-bat. Um, on occasion, if there was a light moment, somebody might say something, and it was no big deal. But, you know, not too many catchers are talking throughout the at-bat. And if they did, I, would, I did my best routine of checking them right there and um, letting them know I, I don't like that. I don't think any hitter does. Yeah. Um, so I don't, th- that doesn't go on very much.
1: What about second?
2: Second, as far as what?
1: Well, when you're out in the field, guys are there at second. Much.
2: anything? Depends who it is. Yeah. Depends who it is. Depends the relationship. Um, other than the, the initial, hey, what's going on? Yeah. You know, what are you doing? How you been swinging? They're, you know, pitching change. Yeah, you might have a conversation with a friend of yours or or an ex teammate or something, but once a game starts, as far as that, there's no. Do we have to? Are we politically correct on this? Show? No, no, do whatever not you need. I Swear, do there, whatever you want. There's no. I was a, I wasn't a shit talker. Yeah, that wasn't my game. You know, yeah. I thought that was kind of beneath the. I just I, I tried to stay above that fray. Yeah. So I would never mislead a runner. I would never with my, with my words ever. Once a game started, that's serious. Mm-hmm. Now, when there's a break in the action, I might have something to say. You know, I might be laughing at my pitcher because he's not holding them on very well. Yeah, uh, something like that. But I would never mislead him. There's no shit talking going on. It's it's once that once they once the whistle blows, even though yeah. there's no whistle, and we're we're playing, uh, it's all business for me. And usually for most of the runners out there, it's all business because they have something to do too. Uh, in between pitches, you might you know might might yeah. say something something that happened in the stadium or something like that. But uh, other than that, once it's going, it's going.
0: Have you ever been as a runner yourself? Let's say even at first base, and let's say it's a guy like Sean Casey who's known for for just talking to everybody all the time. Yeah. Have you ever been there where you're like, "Hey, I have a job to do here too." Are you trying? Well, to – First
2: base is different. First base is different because you're so close. Yeah, you know, it, at second base, I'm I'm 25 feet away. There's no reason for it. And, and my job here is holding you on. You're at first base. There's no tricking you going on. It's like I'm standing here. He's either going to throw over or he's not. So, yeah, K- Casey, we used to call him Doofus. <laughs> yeah, he's a good guy. But, yeah, he's one of my sometimes, sometimes yes. he would just not stop. And, and not in a bad way. Yeah. He wasn't trying to. And he's a close talker. Yeah, he's just, that's his personality. Yeah. Like, hey, boom, yeah. it's like. Enough (laughs) But but I I didn't find myself Ever Put off Or Angry at somebody You know Because I knew It was just them talking They were just being social They weren't being jerks Or trying to mislead me In any way If I ever felt that I'd let them know Shut up Yeah but that rarely happens. I mean, usually they're just out there, and, and some of the guys are just known for when you get on first, you're going to get an earful, and they know everybody. And, you know, they're usually really good guys that are just outgoing. But first base is different because you're so close. You know, between every pitch, you're standing essentially on top of each other. So there's, there's a lot that goes on there. But usually no nothing nothing uh,
1: strategic going You know, Brett, my, uh, my first year covering this team, Dave, I think you were pretty close to it as well, was 1993. And I think about the players that were in the game, players that were playing here in San Diego. Dave and I were lucky enough to cover the 96 and 98 playoff teams, the guys we got to meet. I remember when you came in, we hit it off because it's really weird kind of looking back in hindsight, but it feels like a lot of those players from that generation respectfully could be called throwback players that had that, throwback style that would fit in any generation. And I bring it up because I look at this Padre team in town that was 45 and 45 at the break and won 26 games down the stretch. And you hear that they had tuned out from their manager. You hear that their feelings were hurt when they traded a popular outfielder. And I'm just wondering for a guy that played the game as you did, and I just think your personality, whether your dad was Al Boone, the plumber, uh, not Bob and not the grandson of Ray, just getting to know you over the years, I think you still would have been the same kind of guy. When you look at today's player, when you look at today's game, as a guy who played this game at the highest level with a great level of success, do you think you could enjoy the game playing today as much as you did in your time?
2: I don't know. I, I think it's tough to, you know, you can't transcend the, the generations. It's like, I'm 50 years old, and if I was 20, what would I be? I would have grown up in a different era. I would yeah, have grown yeah. up in a different uh, environment totally. You know, I wouldn't have grown up with an with an iPhone in my hand and mm. having everything now. And, and it's different culturally now. It's different families now, you know. You know, a lot of people, these kids, and no, it's not the kids, it's the parents. Yeah. We need to buckle down and, and te- teach kids right from wrong. Yeah. You know, I'm not from that oh no, whatever you need, you know. It's it cracks me up the other day cuz I'm guilty of it a little bit too. Mm-hmm. I'm driving down the street and it's like, yeah, you know, what's for dinner tonight, dad? Well, I want this and I want no, no. We have dinner. Yeah. Whatever I put on the table that's dinner. <laughs> yeah. This isn't a, this isn't a, this yeah, is a did. menu. <laughs> You know, but I find myself like falling. oh, you, you, want, you want pizza and you want, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. No, yeah. no, we're having veggie lasagna yeah. and you're both going to eat it. And if you don't, we're going to wrap it in tinfoil and you're going to put it in the fridge. And I'm going to sit there right in front of the fridge and all <laughs> night. You come down and try to get something else. You ain't getting nothing else to eat that vegetable lasagna. Once you finish that, you can have all the snacks you want. But um, I think it's a different, different generation. And there, there's still those players out there.
3: The, old the players
2: story. that are yeah but I think you got to change with your times you know I'm still you know I'm removed 10 12 years but I'm still close enough to I can relate to the current player mm-hmm. um and I can relate to the the older player of my dad's generation and, and I found that I'm not going to be that guy that's all oh, these guys today no it's different they came up in a different mm-hmm a different generation. Uh, There's still great players out there and they play the game right. Yes, they, they're a little more coddled. Mm-hmm. You know, I see these guys getting their own shoe the first year. That was one of my greatest achievements of my life was, you know, I'm 10, 12 years in the big leagues and I go on a Nike trip and I got called to the shoe guy's room. And I got to the, sh- the to the room and he let me design my own shoe. I mean, Whoa. I was like, I was like kidding a Christmas. Right. At Christmas. Nowadays, these guys are getting their shoe for their AA All-Star game. Yeah. And I'm going...
3: Man,
2: yeah. I was just hoping I got my, my pair for the second half. <laughs> yeah. um, so, and, and I don't take that away from them. I don't, I don't say, oh, they shouldn't do that. But um, it's just different. That's all it is. It's different. There's one way to play. This game will never change. You go out, you bust your ass, you play the game the right way for nine innings, and you do whatever the heck you want. I'm not saying don't have personality. Don't enjoy yourself. You see some guys out there genuinely having fun. And and it's not the way I would do it, mm-hmm. but but who says Brett Boone's way is the way? That's just how I went about it. Um, so as long as you you take this game serious, you respect the game, you respect the players that came before you, and you respect the players that are come after you, and you do your job. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't, doesn't matter. You got to look yourself in the eye. Was I did I represent myself and play the way that this game is? Supposed to be played, and if you can do that, who cares what anybody else Thanks. thinks? So I, you know, I yeah, today's game, it's different, you know. And but I, but I kind of roll with it, you know. I, I real I, I would be uh, uh, when I was playing. I was crazy about wanting Intel, and man. Anything I could get, any extra video I could get, I'd watch that and I'd watch it. And I'd watch. today I'd be kidding a candy shop. I mean, yeah. you're giving me data beyond above, above and beyond what I ever thought would we'd have. And to give me an iPad yeah. packed with every single thing I need for this upcoming series, man, that You'd would be great. So I, you know, and and we, we kid all the time, us guys that played in my generation about the analytics and the, this and then that. But until you really break that down and truly understand it, is before you can have a truly... Hardcore opinion either way. Mm-hmm. And I haven't broke the data down like that. I haven't been in meetings where, hey, show me where this data works. Show me why this works. And really studied it. Until I get to that point, you know, I have my opinions. Mm-hmm. But that's what they are, their opinions. And when I go into a, to a fight, I like to have my facts. Yeah. So I'll take you to the mat because I got the facts. And uh, so I'm always up for learning and um, seeing what they're seeing nowadays. There's something to it. You know, there's something to it. I, I don't think you can play a game with a computer. You never will be able to, especially a, a baseball game. Yeah. Uh, because you've really got to take into account a lot more um, than just what that computer screen spits up. I got to read a guy, look in his eyes, and I know what that guy's got, mm-hmm. what kind of heart that guy's got. And that plays for a lot. You still, as a manager in today's game, you got to go on feel, you got to go on gut a lot of the time. And then use that data and use those analytics. Where you see fit, I think, you know, I think we've talked about this on this show before is I think that the great managers now going forward are going to are going to be those guys that that have that that old school mentality and that gut instinct that usually is right. And they combine it with the perfect percentage of of data and and analytics and just technology. And those are going to be the ones that really excel.
0: You know, we're seeing a lot of the old-school managers, even a guy like Boch who we all know really well, that it almost feels like guys like Boche and, and Sosha and Girardi and, and you, you can go on and on, Mike Matheny even, um, that their opinions aren't basically given the credit that they feel they deserve as saying, I'm a lifer, this is my job. I've grown up my whole life being around baseball, either as a player or as a manager, and you're seeing that so many GMs are guys that are Ivy League graduates guys are they're computer based you need to have a gm that is willing to work with the manager like talk is joe madden's going to end up back with angels will the gm say hey you have free reign to do what you feel here's all the information we're going to give you but if the information doesn't go with what you're feeling at that time we're hiring you right now to be joe madden instead of saying we're hiring whoever the next guy is we need you to follow the computer system that w- that's what you're here for that's what we trust we trust well, well i data. think it's yeah and i think it's
2: it depends on the organization you're with. Um, and not to sit here and say, because I really haven't d- delved into it or, or looked into it, who 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 has the most power, who has the most say upstairs versus another team that just lets you go and, and says, hey, you're the manager, you run it, you do it how you want. Here's all the data we have, but you make the final decision. I'm sure there's some franchises out there that do that. Uh, and I'm sure there's some organizations out there that say, We want to have a lot of input here. That probably goes into a lot of the hiring process. Who are we going to hire? We're going to hire a guy that's going to that's willing to to play and willing to take our advice a lot of the time. Thing you got to realize is the general manager has an ego too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. general manager goes all off season and works, puts together the team, gives them the players. And the manager runs the players. In the old days, you know, here's your team. Manager runs the team. Nowadays, the GM sitting up there going, "No, well, I would have done. I got this guy. You know, he's got an ego too. So I think the best combos are the guys that work together, talk it out, have an understanding. But I think at the end of the day, the manager's the manager. He's got to run the game. He's going to be hired. He's going to be fired. So he's got to make his own choice. Doesn't mean you can't." be a team and, and work as a team and take input from a lot of different places but at the end of the day you're the skipper you make the decision
1: having watched in the last two years manage the Yankees has it done anything positive or negative to make you think about getting back in uniform oh I, at this point um, <clears throat> I would be
2: open to a lot of different things yeah. at this point you know at the end of the day this is this is the game this is what I know mm-hmm this is what I know very intimately mm-hmm. and all the nuances and all the little, you know, the subtleties of the game. I know that. I know I'm an expert in this field. Um, I enjoy watching Aaron. As far as getting back in the game, I'm always going to be open to the right position mm-hmm. depending on where it would be and the right um, situation, timing. Um, I'm definitely going to be open to that. But right now I'm I'm also happy – Coming on your show and and, it, and raising kids yeah. so uh who knows what the future holds, but baseball will always be there for me and I'll always be a you know be a uh I don't know always be my passion
1: one quick sorry Dave one quick Aaron I, I gotta ask you this we joked about it earlier that clip of him this year that got out where he, <laughs> they're fucking savages in the box man when you're watching that as a player thinking about your manager going out and doing that as his brother going out and thinking about that. What's running through your mind as you're watching that clip as he goes out and he's just telling the Empire, get better, you got to be better when you're well, watching that. Well, it was
2: that. classic Aaron and the way he is because he's such a nice guy that he really doesn't want to show anybody up. He wants to be firm and get his point across, but he wants to do it respectfully. Mm -hmm. So he was. He was, hey, you need to get better, sir. You know, but a little harsher than that. Yeah. I called him. I said, that's a perfect, perfect clip. I said, because you didn't do it. Yeah. You didn't set up the hot mic. No. You had an epic comeback with the Savages (laughs) line. And I said, in one non-premeditated rant, you got every every fan in New York that hates you right. to like you. Yeah. At the same time, your teammates loved yep. it, and every player in the big leagues watching it, going, "Wow, love right. what our manager's doing that for us." So, Aaron, in one hot mic moment, probably picked up about seven million fans. Yeah. I, I said it was a perfect storm. I said, and you didn't you didn't have anything to do with it. You know, if yeah. people set something up and it's you can tell it's kind of planted, like oh, they did that for the PR or anything. That was completely innocent, but it was picked up and it was, and it was just the perfect thing. And I'm going, you know, because New York, no, imagine no. how hard that can be. Oh. And you're always going to have your naysayers. So all those naysayers caught a little respect for Aaron Boone right there and went, you know, we we can't hate him like we did because that was pretty awesome. And for me as a manager, the most important thing are my guys mm-hmm. and my players, yeah, and my peers. And I think that did him nothing but good right yeah. there. Yeah. So I thought it was a pretty cool moment.
0: I agree. I mean, you always hear all the time, it's such a long season. And then the, everything just starts to drag, especially when you get in August. Even if you're doing well, it becomes an extremely long season. It's extremely hot. It gets uncomfortable. Right there, it was that boost of energy. Immediately for those guys, whether it's Brett Gardner, whether it's anyone else on that team – hey, that was a little bit of a push as, as we make a run here. He he is going to win manager of the year. I mean, without a I, doubt, I think... that you can't argue with all the injuries they've had and mm-hmm. what a great season they've had. I almost feel like – if and if your your brother would never answer this truthfully, at least not to me, to you maybe. He has done such a great job with what he has to, to make that meal that a guy like Giancarlo Stanton coming back almost feels like, shoot, is this going to mess up chemistry a little bit? Because we've been doing really, really well – and I understand he's a superstar making a ton of money, but man, we're we're a complete team right now on the right path.
2: Yeah, you know, I thought because I'm a, I'm tough on Aaron privately. Mm-hmm. Me and Aaron talking. Yeah, um, I respect him a lot. He's a very still your little brother. Yeah, but he's a very <laughs> yeah. knowledgeable guy. He's good at what he does. He's he's very well prepared. He's very baseball savvy. He's knowledgeable. He's a great people person. Uh, but I'm tough on him and we have debates about certain things where we disagree and I'll go to the mat with him every time and he'll listen. Um, but I look at this year and, and you know, like I was talking earlier about taking my dad hat off for my son, mm-hmm. I gotta take my brother hat off for him. And if I just objectively critique his season, it's one of the it's one of the greatest seasons I've I've ever seen by a team. Mm-hmm. Considering all the variables, um, one of the greatest I've ever seen. I've never seen missing Stanton for four months, missing Judge for two months, missing Gregorius for three months, missing the third baseman for the entire season, um, losing Voight, Sanchez in and out of the lineup, uh, the center fielder Hicks missing four or five months, number one starter Severino not making his first start till mid-September. Just lost Hermine, uh, Herman. Uh, who's the Who's the setup guy in the pen?
0: Um, I'm drawing a blank right now. I'm listening to everything the, you're saying. I gotta, went out with the Achilles injury yes. recently. Yeah. Missing him.
2: The starting pitching having an average year. Yeah. And to win a they win a, what they win? 103 games. That's unheard, they, of. Yeah. Just unheard of. It's unheard of. And and it's not you know it just so happens my brother's the manager on that team so so what a remarkable job he did on his end as far as I think the manager sets the tone in that clubhouse mm-hmm. and obviously he set a great tone um, you know I give credit through the whole organization Cashman putting that team together giving Aaron the pieces when those guys went down and filled yeah. in but I think they've got something special going in that clubhouse and and where they just look at each other and said. Oh, what is somebody else going to get hurt? Somebody gets hurt yeah. every day. And it doesn't matter who's in that lineup. We're going to kick your ass tonight. And that's a cool thing. And it's a once in a lifetime thing. You know, I had one in Seattle with, with our O one one team where it was just freaky. And it's like, don't question it. Just ride it through the year. Cause you're probably never going to see it again. I don't think you'll ever see a season where you miss that many of your main core players yeah. and win 103 games. It's, it's remarkable
1: and hopefully they can keep that magic going. Well, this matchup we were just Austin. talking. You you have a rookie manager in Rocco Baldelli Dave who's going to get a ton of votes too. Yeah. They missed the playoffs last year. They went over 100 games. Same thing with injuries on that Twins team uh across the lineup, not the marquee guys, but still they don't have the resources that the that the Yankees have. And so when you have key components go down, they almost blew a Double-digit lead in the Central. They hang on. They win. That's a fascinating series. Well, if, if, I, if I
2: just laid that out to you and Dave right now, all those things I just said about the time of yeah, the main players missing, awesome. and I'd say how many, how many, how right. many games do they win? You'd say maybe eighty. Seventy eight. Yeah,
1: 78. yeah. And they oh, won one hundred and three games. Oh, it's fantastic. It's
2: it's. Uh, so so
1: selfishly, I'd say Aaron did an oh, ob- unbelievable job. Sick. Sick how good he did. Let me. There was a situation today, Brett, where the owner of the Padres, Ron Fowler, met with a group of Twitter people, which is uh, always interesting. Dangerous. <laughs> that is yeah. a dangerous world, that Twitter world. It is. And Ron feels the need to go out and explain everything. And so he goes out and he says, Look, it sucked. We sucked in the second half. As I mentioned, 45 and 45 at the break. Coming off a 300 to Machado and a lot of money to Hosmer, et cetera, And we win 26 games down the stretch. And it was terrible. And he, he was quoted as saying that he was sick of two players. One that couldn't hit, which was apparently Austin <laughs> Hedges. He backed off of that a little bit in the afternoon. And one who didn't care. Meaning Will Myers, and he said, we're going to have to eat a lot of money to get Myers out of here. You're a guy that knows this game, like you said, it's your passion, you grew up in it, you did the whole thing. From your perspective, what does that do to a locker room, even in the off season, when an owner comes out and calls out two guys, no matter, is it a brother situation where I can rag my brother, but Dave can't, or do you look at that and go, Well shit, he said what all of us are thinking. What does that do inside that clubhouse for the twenty five guys in that coaching staff when the owner does that publicly? Well, twofold. I mean,
2: first of all as the owner you can do anything he wants. Yeah. Uh, my example is this. I, I, I played, you know, I played a lot of years and I played for some some on some really good teams. And I played for you know, for decent time mostly with the reds in seattle but i had a stop in atlanta and a stop in in san diego um but i'll tell you what i appreciated was an ownership's main thing and only thing i don't care if we're friends i don't care if the owner loves me hates me he's going to respect me he's going to respect how i play as long as he how how do i put this i played in i played in cincinnati i'll just tell Mm -hmm. you funny story I played for mart shot yeah who is uh what's the word i'm looking for
1: polarized animated yeah uh,
2: different you, very unique um you know this is back in in the mid 90s and and i remember <laughs> you know i get dozen bats and they come in and and i'd I'd go in. I said, "I need another dozen bats." And they're, "Oh, like, well, Marge wants you to give your crack bats up to get new bats." <laughs> I felt like I was, a, <laughs> I felt like I was in trouble, and my dad was putting a rule on me. I'm like, "Is this the big leagues? We don't yeah. do stuff like that." <laughs> so, I mean, she would save a nickel wherever she could save a nickel. But at the trading deadline, mm-hmm. she'll 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 save hundred and fifteen dollars on that bat order. Mm-hmm. But at the deadline and at the time. You know, three, $4 million players, that was a big deal. She'd go get that three, $4 million player because all she cared about was winning. Awesome. And there's a lot to be said for that. I'd rather play for somebody like that that at the end of the day uh, wants to win. I'd rather play for a George Steinbrenner mm-hmm. who might call you out on the cover of the New York Post and say, you suck. As a player, I'm a man. I'm a grown man. I know that. I can handle that. I'm getting paid a ton of money to perform. I don't want him to say that about me. Nobody likes to be called out like that but I could deal with it. As long as I knew his end game was all he cares about is
1: winning. Can today's player take it?
2: Well, I don't think you, you can categorize today's player as all one type. Yeah. It's definitely a different era. Uh, and I can just speak for my age, my, my generation or, you know, 10, 12 years ago, if an owner called you out, um, I don't think you'd like it, yeah. but I don't think it's going to disrupt that clubhouse at all. Mm-hmm. And it all—it's—it's it, all—it all depends on who the player that's called out. I played for some tough managers that would call you out. I played for Lou Piniella, and man, we had some knockout drag drag out fights. And I'll tell you what, for me, my personality—it made me better. Yeah, because I was going to show him, and I was going <laughs> to—I was going to stick it up his butt. Yeah, um, some players aren't. And we've talked about this on this show before you've it's all about reading players, knowing players. And, and I got to kick you in the ass and I got to give you a hug to get the same results. Mm. And it's knowing when to do that. So that's why I say it's twofold. He's the owner. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. Uh, but knowing your personnel, knowing how they're going to – because there's still a lot of money on the line. It's like I need to get the most out of this and the most out of this. So uh, I don't know. I'm kind of in between. I, I don't have a strong opinion either way on that. Uh, at the end of the day, he's paying the bills. He can say what he wants. Yeah.
0: When you had someone like Marchot, who is known for for being cheap, I mean even for us as, as a media members, when the Reds would come to town – Do you remember the media notes, Jeff? For the Reds were black and white. There was no color in the. Oh, it's unbelievable! It wasn't like she. Oh, she. It's rumored she
2: was cheap. No, no, she was cheap. And they printed (laughs) on both sides of the paper. Do you remember that? We flew. We flew coach twice a year in the big leagues. Wow! So I'm sitting on a plane. I'm sitting on a plane, and you know we had some pretty high profile guys. We had Deion Sanders, and he's flying with us, and I'm, we're, we're on this plane, and I'm going, is this serious? (laughs) First of all, we didn't deserve it. Yeah, you know the 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 basic agreement said if you were to do this now that never happens nowadays, and it's never happened to me except for when I was in Cincinnati, <laughs> and it was twice a year because she was going to save you know that charter that coach, it was probably going to save her fifteen seventeen thousand. God damn! And back then, you know, yeah. we had to have three seats for every two players, so basically it broke down as we had to go through custom. I mean, we had to go through <laughs> security with everybody else. You guys in walking Cincinnati, through there? Oh, yeah, in Cincinnati. With all the Reds fans And here come the Reds Like we're yeah. a college team And now we got to sit in the terminal yeah. You know, we're waiting for the plane to get there And it's just a circus And I'm sitting there going This is You oh, know, I was a young player though yeah. And I was just getting in I didn't care I just wanted to get to the next field and play but the guy, the veteran guy's just like, wow, this is really weird, you know? Yeah, you want to go to, well, back then they didn't have it, but it's like, hey, you want to go get a Starbucks? Yeah, <laughs> we probably won't get bothered going over there. <laughs> you know, you got every fan in the world. Hey, what about that last series? Yeah. And, and it was funny, but we'd get on the plane and, and I'm going, these people that are on this flight with us they do not deserve what's about to happen on this flight <laughs> but at the same time we don't deserve to have to you know yeah. that's a time for for players after a game after a series that's time to let your hair down and it's just relaxing time and it's not for anybody else it's our time and so i felt bad for the the, the guys that just bought a ticket on that flight uh, but but at the same time it's like what are we doing on yeah. this flight with them um so, yeah, it, it was not a rumor. She wasn't kind of cheap. The bats was a real story. Uh, I'll tell you, she'd try to get away. She'd put us cause in the basic agreement. You have to stay. Big leaguers have to stay. I think at a minimum is a four star hotel. But if she could sneak us into a three wow. and a half star and it saved an extra couple bucks, she would do it. And we saw it. And it's like Marge. Yeah. But I'll tell you, at the trading deadline, she would go out and get that player. Because she wanted to win so bad, and that's all she and that that's the old school mentality, owner-wise. Steinbrenner, he could care less what he says, what he's you know, who he offends. But you knew that inside all George wanted to do was win, and he didn't care at any cost. I want to win. So those players, I think, took it as, you know, we can take a jab from him once in a while because we know at the trading deadline, he's going to get us whatever we need to give us the best chance to win this year. So I'll take that over passiveness. And winning isn't the most important thing, bottom line is. Yeah.
1: You know, it's funny, Brett? I was in uh, Toronto in May. I'm in the Toronto airport. The Raptors walked right through. They flew coach to Philadelphia in the middle of the playoffs. But the funny wow. thing is... You spend enough time up there, you know what those fans are like. Nobody went up and bothered them. They just waved to them. They just cruised right through the terminal. This was the middle of the playoffs. Really? Yeah. I watched the, all of a sudden I look up and here comes the whole Raptors team. (laughs) That's amazing. Our flight
2: to Philly. Especially nowadays, because it's like, yeah. that was the only time. My Cincinnati time, and, and it probably happened in the five years I was there, probably was four flights.
1: Right. Who knows what these guys uh,
2: because you know everybody else is like you know they almost it was almost like a running joke hey did you guys fly coach? <laughs> Did you check your bags yeah you know you play you'd see the other guys yeah. you know on the other team and the next day during BP hey how'd you guys get here? did you guys take a bus I did. <laughs>
1: That's uh, last week I I watched the end of the road for Marty Brenneman in the Cincinnati Reds and Marty 46 years and for me personally, way before Dave and I started this show I, I was the guy who ran the board at a local station and a guy that I worked with was the engineer when the Reds came to town and he said to me he goes hey man you want to go watch a game with Marty and Joe Nuxall. and Brett Nuxey no, was my
2: favorite Brett
1: I'm telling you I was I had no connections to anything I was just a scrub and they were the greatest guys and I was so thankful for them Ted Leitner Jerry Coleman others to show me the way and I'm wondering as a player, because I'm watching the Reds fan base that pours out on the field to hear Marty at the end. Uh, for you as a player, for your teammates, when you went into San Diego, when you went into Cincinnati, the Hall of Famers, I, I think Dave Niehaus is in the Hall of Fame for Seattle. I think he is. In Atlanta, you had you know Chip and, and Pete Van Weir and all those guys. Were you aware of those guys and the impact that they made on the community? Were you interested, you know, in in Jerry and Marty and Nuxie and those guys? I think,
2: you know, the, the relationship I had, I had a good relationship with Dave Niehaus. I was only in Atlanta for a minute. I was oh, okay. only in San Diego for a minute. Yeah. Um, but I was with Marty and Joe for five years. And I was particularly close with Joe. Yeah, I mean, Joe is just Nuxy's coolest, And it's fun just saying Nuxy. Hey, come (laughs) over here, (laughs) Nuxy. But he was awesome. And I used to tell Marty every, and I had that love, me and Marty had a very good, I mean, he he couldn't walk through the clubhouse without yelling something at me, giving me a slight, (laughs) and I'd yell back at him, you little (laughs) pipsqueak. So we had a great relationship. Marty was always great to me. Good. you know over my great years and i had a couple thin years in cincinnati marty always took care of me i always appreciated him yeah marty was marty i mean oh, he yeah. doesn't mix, mix he's, words can get he's not politically correct he'll tell he don't care who you are and where you come from he's gonna let you know he's marty brenneman yeah i appreciated that about yeah. him. but some players took that were put off by it and he had some problems with some players I always loved Marty, but I did always remind him that you know, see that guy right there, and Nuxy'd be sitting there. I said, "He's the reason." that no one's killed you
3: <laughs>
0: man i love noxie
2: and me and you know i always knew if i had a good game joe was gonna come grab me for the post game yeah. show and he'd be sitting back there floundering through his tape recorder oh
3: damn it <laughs> and i and I t- yeah. and i try to mess him up
2: because that yeah. was the the thing he would he would do his opening and they'd be like, oh jeez i screwed it up so we'd have to do it like five times
3: yeah
2: you left hander uh, oh i loved him loved him and and i loved marty too but I, I, I'd tell him that all the time. I'd say, you know, Joe saves your ass <laughs> because he's a good dude and you're a mean person. And yeah. I would tell him that. He'd laugh. Booty, try getting some hits tomorrow. You know. But I had a good relationship, and uh, I sent him a text the other day uh, when he was retired because that's – man, it's pretty uh, iconic what he's done yeah. in Cincinnati. When you think of Cincinnati, that's it's the one voice that you hear yeah. is Marty's voice. It's kind of like um, – I don't know. For me, it's it's my childhood listening to uh, who was it Richie Ashburn and Harry Callis. Oh, the Harry Callis, great guy. That's my childhood. It's yeah. like Harry Callis. Of course, that's my whole childhood. Another guy was that Harry was Callis. as cool as a guy. And um, you know, so certain guys, it, it's just the voice kind of goes it goes with that with that franchise. Yeah. You still hear Niehaus all the time oh, for yeah. Seattle, and Seattle doesn't have the the history that these other teams sure. have because. You know, Seattle didn't come around to the what? Sixties? Yeah, 69. 69 or 70, Wait, wait. Uh, no, 76.
0: Mariners. Yeah,
1: seventy six. Yeah. So,
2: so they don't have the run from the eighteen hundreds like the Reds do. But yeah, now, sure. when you think of the Reds and the voice, you hear Marty's voice. Oh, that's yeah. the Reds. Yeah. You know, it's it's almost like when you go to Yankee Stadium and you hear that the, the guy oh, that yeah. passed away recently. Uh, that's that's uh, yeah,
1: Bob Shepard. Yeah, that's
2: that's yeah. Certain certain people have that. You know, I hear Harry Callis. For me, Uh. that's the Phillies. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, that's NFL Films. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, that's funny. (laughs) And that's one of the most – Harry, for me, is in a different category than everybody else from a voice standpoint.
0: You know, we were talking about how as a baseball player, the season can be long and it can drag and you're just going city to city. As a baseball player, are there certain cities you you feel a little bit different energy? Let's say you're going to Wrigley Field or you're going to Dodger Stadium or Yankee Stadium. You're you're going to – a major market compared to, let's say, you have three games in the middle of the week against Milwaukee.
2: Well, well for me, it was, you know, for a player, and well, I, I can speak for myself. Uh, the city had nothing to. Well, yeah, I liked certain cities, but I got excited where I where I I hit well, yeah. <laughs> so I could care less. I'll give up a. I'd rather go to a crappy city where I rake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't. You know, I never particularly liked Dodger Stadium, so I didn't care. It's like, oh, Dodger. Hopefully, I can get a couple of hits. Uh man, I'm going to Anaheim. Oh, it's my favorite place in the world. I love playing at Wrigley. Day games at Wrigley, I, I really, I loved going to Yankee Stadium. That was different to me. Yankee Stadium was different than all the rest. It was just when you when you were at old Yankee Stadium and you stand on the field, a few few places bring bring that back. Yankee more than any for me because it's like this is an unbelievable place and it was always an electric atmosphere. I go to Wrigley, same thing. You know. Mm-hmm. You kind of look around during a day game when there's a timeout or something, pitching change. You look around like, wow, you know, Fenway, same thing. Mm-hmm. I hated going to Fenway. I didn't hit well there. Really? Well, I think I. If you break down the set, I'm sure I did fine. Sure. But it wasn't one of my favorite places to go. I loved gotcha. going to Toronto. I loved yeah. going. Anaheim was great. Everybody hates Oakland. I loved going to Oakland. Really? I just did really well there. And usually, yeah. where you do well, you know, I like going yeah, of to of Arlington. Course. Texas is one of my favorite cities. I yeah. love... New York was my favorite. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to pick Anaheim City as my favorite strictly for playing and hitting. It was Anaheim. I just... I couldn't wait to get How much fun
1: there. with your dad having the history there, too, to have success there? Did it mean special? I mean, you had to spend a lot of days there. Oh, as a as kid? As It's oh, still to this day. You
2: know, yeah. I went up there and I saw Aaron a few months ago when they were in town playing Anaheim. And I go to the back door and I knock on the door. Who's there? My... Uh, my peer, when I was 16, he was the clubhouse kid, wow. and I, I was the right field. I was the ball boy in right field. Yeah. So it started there when I was 16, God. and Bubba
0: is still the clubby. So it, it goes back that's that cool. far. So it's it's pretty cool stuff. That is cool stuff. I mean, that, that's yeah. awesome. When you, there's a great story happened actually right there at Angel Stadium, but it was Ken Griffey Sr. and Ken Griffey Jr. both hitting home runs. When you look at your career, how basically you missed your dad just by a couple of years. Do you, do you ever think how cool it would have been to be playing on a baseball field at the same time as your dad?
2: Yeah, we had an opportunity. He his last year, uh, he was in his last big league season was '89, I think, with uh, Kansas City, and he went to camp with me. Uh, I got drafted by the Mariners, and I went out and played my first short season A ball and. Uh, I didn't go to Bigley camp my first year. I went to minor camp. And dad, that offseason signed with the Mariners and uh, went in. And he he ended up retiring at the end of spring training, and that was it for him. Uh, but they came to us during spring training and said they were going to call me up from minor league camp, and I was going to play in a game with my dad. And we both discussed it, and we said, no. I, I told him, I said, I feel funny doing that. I said, because uh, it's just, it's a circus. Yeah. yeah. I said, I'll be there when I deserve to be there. So we decided to nix it and we didn't do it. Uh, I don't know how I would have felt about doing it. I, I would have felt like this isn't right. I'm not supposed to be here. I haven't earned this and I wouldn't have been able to. What would have been stranger? Well.
0: Playing with your dad or having to take a shower with your dad after the game? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That would have freaked me out. that? I, was, I, I be would with my dad. I, I would Oh, if, if if it would have been <laughs> legit me playing with my dad, that would yeah. have been one of the coolest that things. That would have ever. been cool. I right. mean, for
2: Kenny to get to play with his dad, it's, right. it's no one's ever got to do it. Yeah. He's the only one. The so he's the only one that can speak from from uh, experience. So that would have been unbelievable, but it wouldn't have been anywhere close. It, it had to be legitimate. It had to be Brett yeah. deserves yeah. his call up and he's here and you deserve to be on a major league field. I didn't feel like I'd earned it yet. So I said, I'm not doing it. I don't care if it's, you know, playing with dad. I'm not going to do it. And we well, decided not to do it. You now. know, it's
0: funny. Uh, Brett mentioned his son Jake and mm-hmm. he's a uh, starting shortstop at Princeton and will get drafted next June. He's already been drafted once before. You didn't bring that up. But he's like, he he's on the, the path to follow in the family Unbelievable. name. Unbelievable. Right now, how often is that spoken about inside your family, like, especially with your mom? i'm sure your dad doesn't talk a lot about it but your your mom's all in on, on his career and, and follows as many games as she can she oh she she
2: follows everything no she doesn't talk about it much
0: is you it know? one of the you guys just, i'll if, talk
2: to me and my dad we'll talk about it a little bit yeah because we see his we see his progress you know from and dave you saw him oh you yeah. saw him as a kid and it's interesting for me because you know as a dad when he was 10 12 years old i'm like hey he's a He's a good player. He's, you know, he's, he's got some instincts. He knows the game. But then you think, well, big leagues is a different world here. You know, and then he gets a little better. And in high school, you know, he struggles at the beginning. And then he gets the hang of it a little bit. Then his senior year, he's really good. And he goes to Princeton. In his freshman year, he takes his lumps, and he's, you know, he's a little behind hitting-wise. And his sophomore year, he comes back, and he hits over 300. He's starting to get it. Then I watch him go play this summer, and he's even better. And his arm's stronger, and he's running better. And he's growing up and he's now he's a man. He's not a full blown man yet. He's still try, he cracks me up He'll calling, Dad, I'm one seventy five, one seventy five, He's trying to get the one eight. Hey, I said son, just as a man, when we get older you fill out more. Um but it's pretty cool. It's been a pretty cool ride watching his progression. And I never put that on him. It's like no, whatever whatever he does, this kid's gonna be successful. You know, whether yep. he's a banker or a leading man in hollywood jake's you you know i think it was he he could do it all
0: i think it was your brother that said when he graduated high school he said this kid could be president of the united states he could he could be he could be
2: a leading man in hollywood he could be uh wall street tycoon he could be the president of the united states and and if everything goes right and he gets his dream he'll, he'll get to play in the big leagues so um i don't worry about him either way i support him uh you know and yeah the 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 dad side of me, man, I'm pulling hard. Come on, yeah. get a little better, get a little faster. <laughs> um, but he's, you know, he's progressing like he's supposed to, and, and he's got a love for the game, and and uh, you know, hopefully this year he'll 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 get be a decent draft pick. And and I told him, I said, once you go out there, I said, hey, here's your opportunity, and it's what you do with it is is to where it takes you.
1: Brett, I'm interested in, I don't know if you'll have the answer to this, but we'll we'll ask it oh, anyways. Jim, I have the answer to everything. You do, and I like <laughs> it. I, I say to my sons all the time, I said, you know, the nicest thing that your mom and I can give you is the fact that our own career goals that we set for ourselves, we're lucky enough to exceed them. And by exceeding our own career goals, we don't need to live through you. You can go out and chase your own dream. We'll be there for support. If you get a little squirrely, we'll get you back online. Sometimes it'll be whatever. But I don't need you to live my dream. I was lucky enough to live it. Their mom wanted to go and be a lawyer. She passed the bar and she's doing great. Dave and I started as a little dopey weekend show and we were able to do a lot. So that's why I always say to them, I said, I don't think you get it now, but at some point you'll be like, wow, that was cool. How much for you, Brett, starting from your grandfather down to your dad, from your dad down to you and Aaron, and now for you down to Jake, the idea that you lived your dream, exceeded your dream, how much has that made it for you in just your own mind, being easier, being Jake's dad saying, well, I didn't didn't tap out at A ball, so I need to be different. And like I said, I don't know if you can answer it, but do you feel like it's been easier watching this path for him knowing that you exceeded the goals that you
2: set for yourself? Well, that definitely makes it easier. Yeah. You know, it definitely makes it easier for me in a lot of things I do because, you know. As a dad? No, in life, when it comes to baseball, anywhere I go, I have instant credibility. Mm -hmm. Now I have to keep that credibility by showing that I know what I'm talking about. I don't know because I don't I don't know anything else. Yeah, I guess you're right. But I but I think the short answer for me is my dad was so good with me growing up, and and I never felt an ounce of pressure from my mom or my dad, not one bit. And and I think he was a great example for me. So I I after I went through my journey, I thought you know, and I I'd, I'd be looking about the past. I'm like, man, dad made it real easy on me. There was no pressure ever. So I kind of took that format. And just applied it to my life. And, and that's why Jake, he'll never feel an ounce of pressure from me. He knows when to come to me. Sure. Um, and I don't sugarcoat everything to mm-hmm. him either, but I'm never calling him to critique him. I'll call him and I'll say, remember what we talked about. You're not doing that. You've got to start thinking differently than that. you got to think, what are you thinking? And that's more of our conversations. He might go 0 for 4 and have you know a couple strikeouts and didn't swing good my conversation is not going to be about your swings and why'd you chase that break? ball. I know why I chased that breaking ball because baseball is really hard yeah. and I've chased a million of them. Yeah. But I, I'm going to get to the crux of it is what were you thinking in that at bat after that last at bat, what he did to you and what you did that next bat? what was going through your brain, not to critique him on that particular day, but to teach him for the next time that situation comes up, he's going to have that in his mind. And maybe one thing I say in that conversation goes ding, now he's got that knowledge. Yeah. My, goal for, my goal as dad is to help Jake as much as I can, have as much knowledge as he can. I want him to be a 21-year-old kid that has the knowledge of a 30-year-old. Yeah. That's going to do nothing but help him from a strategic standpoint and how he goes about playing this game because there's so much to it. I learned it late. Not late, but, but of course I knew how to play the game, but, mm-hmm. but I was kind of a wild horse when I was 21 years old. I mean I could just really hit and I had really fast hands and I everything was easy for me. Hitting was never easy, but I mean the the, the actual mm-hmm. motions of doing it. Um at
1: 21 Brett, not to interrupt you, but are you in the minors at that
2: point? Yeah, I'm in the minor leagues at 21 and and it was just my my physicality could could overcome stuff. Yeah. And and I never really broke the game down and had a plan and you know that came later in life when I was about 30 years old, when I had a real, I really started studying behind the scenes and what goes into an at bat.
1: God, so great.
2: And, uh, if I can give that to Jake at an earlier age, man, he's way ahead of it. You know, he's way ahead of the curve there. So that's my, my look at it is, like I said, my dad's job is the, is the, uh, is the physical side yeah, and uh, the technique and all that, because I just don't, you know, <laughs> Dave, seen me work. I don't have much patience for these guys <laughs> with, with less than lightning, <laughs> lightning features. And I'm, I'm looking at Jake. I'm like, he's like, well, I couldn't get to that pitch. And sometimes I like, oh, well. You should have fast hands like your father. <laughs> it's really easy to do. No, but I'm just not. I'm not. I'm just not good at it. I mean, believe me, I've been humbled plenty in my oh, life. Yeah. I've had plenty of rough times. So I, I definitely, I joke when I say that because yeah. I'm very. I was very humbled by the game, and I have an appreciation for how hard this game is. But I stay away from that side, and and I just stay of the thinking side, the mental side, how we prepare, because I think that's every bit, you know. I see these, these hitting camps and these hitting things, and I laugh all the time because you can either hit or you can't yeah. hit. Now, if you can hit, mm-hmm. now your brain comes into it. and yeah. The better you prepare and the smarter you are, and you just, that's going to make you the best you can be. But you can either hit or you can't hit. You can't, God, you can't take a, yeah. a, a mediocre hitter and say, well, I'm going to teach you to be hit like a stud. It ain't going to happen. If you can't hit, you can't hit. Yeah. <laughs> if you can hit, now let's make you the best you can be. So,
0: You know, Brett and I have had this, this conversation before because we've been in a lot of dugouts before, but people always will say, what does it take to be a, a major leaguer? Mm-hmm. And I've asked Brett this question a bunch of times, and, and two of the three things you're, you're either born with or you, you aren't. Right. And, and, you know, <laughs> you, what is it? first one's eyesight. second one is your fast twitch muscles. And the third one is your, your desire to, to basically put your skills together and work that hard to make it that far. But the first two you don't even control. You and don't. don't. Brett uh, and I have sat in so many dugouts. We'll he'll look at the other team and look at the parents and he, he'll say, none of these kids are going to make it. Every parent yeah. over there thinks their kid's going to make it. There's not a right. kid on this field that's going to make it. And not only are they not going to
2: make it, they don't have even a chance on this earth of making it. Now, sometimes you're you're... The thing with kids, and why I don't really get into judging kids—not necessarily—that's a bad word, judging, um, scouting them or giving my opinion of them. Where are we in the kid program? Are we twelve? Because no, we, we have we, no idea. Yeah. The, I mean, the we pre-puberty been kid, from t- nine to twelve. No clues. Yeah. No. You know, I've seen an eleven-year-old that is unbelievable, and when he's sixteen, he's not to be heard from. Right. You've seen an eleven-year-old that's a late you know, a late bloomer doesn't hit puberty till he's 13. Yeah. You never even thought twice about him. And all of a sudden he comes out and like, wow, yeah, this kid's yeah. a man now and he can play. Yeah. So I, I think you really can't look at a guy and decide, Oh, whether this guy's got a chance until he's, he's kind of 16, 17 years old. And okay. he's, and he's at least a, a young man. That's, that's, um, now you're kind of seeing the physical skill and the first thing. And, and the major thing, it, at the highest level is, it's very simple, it's speed. You have to have, there's, there's a minimum level of speed you have to have. If you don't have that, it doesn't matter how fundamentally correct you are. It doesn't matter how well you listen. <laughs> it doesn't matter how good you run the bases. If you don't have a certain amount of speed, you're not allowed to play up there because they're too fast for you and the game will be by you.
1: Brett, when you talk about speed, how much of the speed of decision-making? Well, when I say speed, I don't mean foot speed. Yeah.
2: I mean speed in every capacity.
1: So help, help, let's do this because this will go live tonight. We're here Monday night. Tomorrow night is Tuesday. Max Scherzer will be on the mound tomorrow night for the Nationals. So this is the thing that I love because you see a completely different game than the rest of us do. So tomorrow night, for all the people lucky enough, to hear Brett tonight and lucky enough to pay five bucks to subscribe to the show. You're lucky. Dave and I say, you're welcome (laughs) tomorrow night. You're well, I say this, but you're now going to have a way to watch this game differently than you were going to. Brett, take us into the box. It can be any player. It can be any situation when you're sitting in the box and you're facing Max Scherzer and you're trying to determine what's coming at you. How much of that is what you talked about earlier as a hitter? I've done my video work. I know what he wants to do in this situation or how much is it trying to pick up the ball from the release point and the time that you have to make that decision.
2: Picking the ball up from the release point has nothing to do with anything. Okay. So uh, as a hitter, as a hitter, we always have certain physical things that we do. We get in the box, we do this, 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 we have checkpoints and everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Um, as a player, everybody's going to have a different experience. Now, these players, they, you know, some of the players on that team have a lot of at bats logged sure. against Scherzer, so they're going to have a little bit of different game plan. What's he been successful? What's not? The thing I find with elite pitchers, mm-hmm. the elite elite, is they're not predictable. Mm-hmm. So they might have might have gone at you two weeks ago and carved you up a completely different way right. than they're going to do it. And it all depends on the hitter, the time of the game what he's feeling best with that night, what he's got, what he doesn't have. For me, with the elite guys going into a game, I'm going to take all that into consideration. I'm going to consider the year I just had against him. Where did I get him? Where did he get me? Uh, did he have a good year? What was his out pitch? What was this, that? that that's all the, the the easy things to look at. But when it comes down to it, when you got an elite number one guy. and yeah. For me, an elite guy means he's got two or three pitches that are plus pitches. And when I mean plus, it means – if I'm facing Pedro Martinez in his heyday, I'm not going to hit his fastball and his and his curveball, okay? And his changeup. If I'm facing Randy Johnson in his heyday, I'm not going to be able to hit his and when I say hit it, I don't mean touch it. I mean mm-hmm. drive it. I mean do something with it. So, I'm not going to be able to hit Randy's fastball and his breaking ball. So my my thought process is I'm I'm going to get on one of them. Okay. I'm not going to waver. Now that might change at bat sure. to a bat. If I get on the if I get on Scherzer's you know, his out pitch is first at bat and I do some damage, now I might have to change my game plan, but I already got him. So I'm gonna get on one I'm gonna get on fast or I'm gonna get on soft. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna flip a coin and hope I can wait him out. Because so,
1: I'm not gonna hit both. So one quick follow up. Again, for the for the people that are watching tomorrow night as they're watching Scherzer, the guy in the box. Is he deciding to swing based on what he's thinking or what he's seeing? Depends on the hitter. Oh, gotcha. Depends on the hitter. Yeah.
2: You know, the great ones I, that I followed and really studied, the Manny Ramirez's, Edgar Martinez, they might wait six pitches. And finally they got that one they were looking for. But they had the patience to let everything else go. And sometimes you've got to do that. Sometimes I've got to let two fastballs go to Ooh. get to where I'm going. I don't yeah. like to do it that way. Yeah. But I got to do it And I got to wait them out I can't waver Because if I waver Yeah I might get beat this at bat But if, I know if I stick to my program I don't waver Over 162 games The percentages Are in my favor To be the best I can be Yeah Whereas if I waver At bat to at bat You never know what's going to You never know what's going to happen You know it's like betting a Black, red, black, red yeah. you, know, you either stick with one And if yeah. you catch, or, catch a yeah. hot hot run Or catch a trend You're going to do it You know there's a gambling metaphor but it's one or the other. With Randy, it's like, man, John Smoltz was a nemesis of mine. Man, yeah. And I could not pick up his slider. And he would throw the slider right down the middle. And it, and to my eye, it was a four-seam fastball. And he would never throw the slider for a strike to me. He'd throw it, make it appear to be a fast fastball down the middle, and he'd break it off the plate. God dang. And I just thought to myself, i got to get on one or the other. Yeah. And if, he, if I get on the breaking ball and he – and he paints me with two fastballs to start me, I'm 0-2. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Bad plan. (laughs) You know, but you got to do that with the great ones, and uh, that's why they're great. Game within the game is my favorite. I, you know, thing. I
0: love the question that Jeff asked because it's funny. Obviously I'm never going to bat against Scherzer, but well, I'd it, hit off. I'd hit off catchers too. I'd yeah. hit off
2: tendencies. I know what that's what, I, catchers that's what are my paying. question was yes. going to go yeah. because I, who's my catcher. If it's Veritek, no, it's going to be a battle. He doesn't give away his, he, he doesn't show me his cards. And so that, but that if it's somebody else, I, I know their cards.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So here, here's the question I have, I have going. we'll just go with Scherzer because he, he's one of those guys where I've seen in person and, I was watching a million times on TV, but in person, I'm like, holy shit, that guy is amazing. And so when I sit there and I watch Scherzer and I'm thinking, I have no chance of hitting the slider. So I'm going to say I'm going to wait for the fastball. Now, do you go to the tendency of he won't throw back-to-back sliders? Do you go back and well, I know I never go to the watch?
2: tendency I, I can't hit it. Okay, I can hit anything so, I'm sitting on
0: it. Got it. Okay, so let's say you're you're saying, hey, I'm looking fastball, but he doesn't throw back-to-back fastballs. Well, I, to do you, know I that. mean, that's I what I'm know saying. Them, but will the great you, ones will might, you know that
2: might back me up. Here's what the great ones are going to do. They're going to see you, they're going to see they're going to read you. They're going to watch me as a player, me in particularly, because they know my tendencies, and they can tell when I take a fastball with no intention of swinging at a fastball because maybe my foot came down a little late because I'm sitting on a breaking ball. the great ones notice that and they'll back you up <laughs> with a fastball. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping they don't read that. Because I, I, you know, I've been sitting on a breaking ball sometimes and my foot goes up in the air. I'm waiting on that breaking ball and it's a 95-mile-an-hour fastball my foot doesn't get down. And I'm looking around going, did that catcher see that? Did yeah. the pitcher see it? Usually the pitcher doesn't see it, but the really good catchers that are looking for stuff like they see that. So, it, like I said, it, you've got to take into account the pitcher, the catcher. Know them. Know if they're really astute. And if they are... You've got to adjust your plan to counter theirs. So it's a big. Yeah. It's the game's
0: deeper than. It's really deep. Well, that's what's funny when people say, oh, the game is boring. It lasts too long. No and way. i go bullshit. If you're I'll, in that nugget, you, you have no the, idea. The, the guy that
2: used to drive me crazy, and I love him, and he's the best player I ever played with. Yeah. Uh, Kenny Griffey. And I'd be sitting there grinding when I was a kid, when I was a rookie, and he, 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 you know, he'd he, have his hat on back. He'd be like, man, I just see know. ball, hit ball, man. <laughs> I'd look at him, I'd say, Kenny, you know, yeah, whatever. And I, and I always wondered, does he really see ball, hit ball? Because I don't know how you do that. A guy, and we talked about it, the elite pitchers, they have – plus pitches. Mm -hmm. The average pitcher doesn't have plus pitches. He might have a good fastball and a good breaking ball. I can look for a fastball and still drive his breaking ball. Yeah. Because it's not elite. The elite ones, I can touch his breaking – I can hit his fastball if I'm looking for it, Mm -hmm. and I can put his breaking ball in play, but I'm not going to hurt him with it. And I'm up there to hurt you. So why, why am I looking? I'm not looking to touch the ball unless it's the right situation. And I got that shortstop playing me deep with a runner on third and less than two outs. And then I'll take a uh, 18 hopper to the shortstop for a ribby. But other than that, I'm looking to knock the crap out of you. Yeah. So I gotta I gotta set up my strategy.
1: The the other thing that obviously we we probably skip over is by the time you're there in the bigs and you've played for a certain period of year you have seen hundreds if not thousands of sliders fastballs curveballs whatever you want to see but Brett one more for you just kind of the the math of hitting if we took the 60 feet I'm going to take the six inches up but we're going to take the 60 feet from mound to the plate and we can either break it up into 10 yards six 10 yard windows or 320 yard windows at what point is it that you make the decision in your mind swing or skip and because i'm fascinated you have to make that decision and then your body has to send that decision to swing and the guy's throwing the ball 95 miles an hour at you
2: i i think that's something that just for, for it's just instinct taking instincts? tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of swings I really don't have an answer. Is it like driving I can't break the freeway? it down and go, Yeah, you know that those twenty boxes you were talking about, usually at about the sixth box I see it. I, yeah. I'd be I'd be but lying I, to you if I could say that. But let me just ask you I'm a looking picture. for a release point and it depends on where it is. Sometimes I'd be okay. I'd be picking a spot in the outfield to soft center on. Gotcha. And now, when it comes in, now I focus, and my soft center goes to a hard center on his on his hand. It depend on the pitcher, depend on his release point, depend on the stadium I was playing in in the background. Yeah, I
3: That's really didn't. What you're I really didn't at.
2: get technical because it wasn't something that I had to say. Okay, when he gets the three quarters, that tree out. No, no, it's something that my brain automatically went to. Like it was easy for me. I got yeah. the soft center on that third pine tree, but when he comes set and he comes into position my eyes are going to go here, but it's not something I had to think about. Gotcha. It was just there. But as far as when I reacted hit, I don't know. It seemed like um, – you see the good hitters, it seems like they're they're playing in slow motion yeah. because they're so – you know, they recognize pitches so – Tony's so. That. Oh, Tony was – he was unbelievable. I mean, he'd recognize pitch right now. Mm-hmm. And he was – well, that's why he's one of the best pure right. hitters in the history of the game. But, um, you know, when you get on a hot streak – you know, and that's why ninety-five is ninety-five, whatever. If you're seeing the ball well and, and you're in the, you know, you're in the, yeah. you're in the groove. Ninety-five really isn't nothing. It, it yeah. feels. But I'll tell you, when I was up there scuffling and not seeing the ball well, ninety-five seemed like hundred and twenty. How did Trevor become so successful then? Especially because his his is one of those pitches. And I said earlier, I can hit anything if I'm sitting on it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes not Trevor's changeup. Yeah, and I would sit on that sucker, and it'd be like it was the one pitch in the game that I can sit on this thing, get it in the middle of the plate, and I still might miss it. Wow! It was that. It was just a Bugs Bunny. It seemed like it stopped. Tommy Glavin had that little bit with his changeup from the left side. Really? Yeah. Whereas it just wouldn't get there. Yeah, it wouldn't. The ball wouldn't get there. Wow! And. Yeah, Trevor had more success uh, against me than I had against – I did take him deep, though. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remind him? No.
3: <laughs> but Trevor – man, Trevor
2: – and me and him, you know, because we've been friends for so many years. Yeah. So I, I hated facing friends of mine. But I'd sit there and I'd be looking – the. the What got Trevor in the long run, and and when he was on his way out, I used to tell him, I said, none of these kids are scared of your changeup. We were all scared of it. We didn't. Mm -hmm. What a major league baseball player, first and foremost, what we don't want to do when we go in the box is, number one, do not embarrass me. Yeah. That is our thought. Mm -hmm. Because when we miss a pitch by two feet, it's embarrassing. Yeah. So I'm not going to let Trevor make me look screw myself into the ground. So I'm going to sit on that changeup. And Trevor would throw me just a little 90-mile-an-hour two-seam fastball for a strike, and he had great control. And he would just kind of look at me because he knows <laughs> I'm sitting on the changeup. And um, I said, your biggest problem, man. This is right at the end yeah. for him. You know, when he knew it was kind of over. I said, these kids, they don't know how good that changeup is. Right. So you try to get that get-me-over fastball for a strike? Yeah. It, and it's ricocheting off the oh, yeah. facade because the rest of us respected that change-up so much that we would give you that strike. Yeah, uh, These guys, they don't even know no. any better. Oh, Trevor Hoffman, I heard he was good. First pitch fastball. Whack. Bang.
0: When the rest of us are taken, because we're going, no, we, we can't get
2: embarrassed by that change-up. Oh. <laughs> that yeah. caught him in the long run.
0: We, we know you're doing a ton of radio this week and leading through the World Series, so we're going to get your predictions first. What are we going to see? Who's going to match up in the World Series? Who's going to win it? Wow. It's tough. Had to ask Is it before Aaron you listening? Left? <laughs> no, Aaron's not listening.
2: Okay, I got to take my hat off and just be Brett, the fan. Yeah,
0: yeah. You're gonna get the two best teams.
2: Two best teams are Houston and Dodgers. Yeah, top to bottom, uh, best team in the tournament is the Houston Astros. Best team in baseball is the Houston Astros. My opinion. Top to bottom, that means starting pitching, relief. Defense, offense, bench, total package. But it's baseball, and you never know. And the best team doesn't always win. The Yankees, for me, they have all the intangibles. They have all the the things we talked about. Mm -hmm. It's like they're not supposed to have won 103 games. And sometimes when you have magical seasons like that and you believe inside, all that matters is what those 25 guys believe. And if they believe – Nobody's going to beat them. It would not surprise me one bit if they beat the Astros. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if the Yankees won the World Series this year. Yeah, but if you're making me make a pick, I think the Houston Astros are the best team in the game. When you look at Cole Verlander, they put Grinky in the mix. I'll tell you, and I look at Dad's team, and I oh, hate to man. just, I hate to just look at Dad and Aaron's team. But <clears throat> I've been saying for about a month now when the Nationals started to get hot in the second yeah. half. I said, I'll tell you what, this team gets to the postseason oh. and you got Corbin as your third, Strasburg, yeah. who could have won 20 games. Right. And Scherzer, arguably the best pitcher in the game in the last five years. Yeah. And those three get hot. They can pull a Arizona from 2001 with Randy yeah. and Schilling. And they can match up, those three can match up with anybody. They can match up with the Verlanders oh, yeah. and, the, and the Coles um, and the Grankies. God, how great would that series so, be? But they've got a, I think the Houston's got a better team. Yeah, See what I'm saying? But as we know, it, it, those elite pitchers, if they pitch elite, it doesn't matter how good your team is. They'll, they'll shut the All-Star team out. If Scherzer's got his best stuff, uh, good luck to you. If hey, Verlander's got his good stuff, good luck to you. Here's my final one for you. Severino's the key for the Yankees.
1: I'm telling you, Brett, what they've done, like you said this year, with the constant pressure of that media, that spotlight that they've been under, it's been insane the year that they've had. Um you're starting to see this now. It feels like more in baseball, and maybe they've done it for 100 years, but we're just hearing about it more. More and more teams are taking middle infielders that, for whatever reason, can't hit and converting them to pitchers. And you're seeing it at A-ball. Pods are doing it. handful of teams are doing it. Right now, if for Brett Boone, for whatever happened in the minor leagues, the bat wasn't there that we got to know, how difficult is that transition? Because as a fan, it looks like it's crazy. It looks like you're taking a quarterback and making him a linebacker. I'd be blowing 84, and <laughs> the, rest be, the rest would be history. <laughs> so it is impressive if a kid can make that transition from shortstop to relief pitcher? <clears throat>
2: um, I think if you give a guy... a a tremendous arm. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's it t- to pitch at the big league level, no matter how hard you throw, there's a lot more to it than that. Sure. Um, that's not as impressive to me as as other things are. Now, you turn a... Uh, the most impressive thing I've seen is Craig Biggio I was, was, just was a ask. catcher and he became a second baseman.
1: And then a center fielder.
2: Well, anyway... It, any of us in the, in, in the middle infield can play the outfield. You can play The center. outfielders are a bunch of infielders that can't play the infield, and they all they know are. that. Yeah, that's they how, all used to be middle infielders. Hey, I, bet you, I bet you in high school you were shortstop. Now you're <laughs> playing left, and you're a defensive liability for us. That's what outfielders are. <laughs> and the center fielder usually can run.
1: But for Biggio, I was from that, that was impressive.
2: Second. That was impressive. You know what's weird? My dad didn't catch a game in his life till AAA. He a, really? He was that's a third amazing. baseman. And, you know, this is the weirdest thing, too. My grandfather was a catcher until AAA. Whoa! That's very strange. And he became a third baseman. Whoa! And a shortstop. So Dude, I, I'm more impressed with the catchers turned into middle infielders. I think it's, it blows my mind. And Biggio was good. He was a did good he get defender. a gold glove second? Uh, yeah, he did. He should send a couple of his to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> stole a couple of mine. Yeah, he did. And, and Craig,
2: you know, I, I, of course I'm kidding. He was... Yeah. He became a good defender. You know, he was always a Hall of Fame hitter. But yeah. he became a really good defender, and that's after catching for years. So that that's impressive to me. Anything's impressive to me to, to, to yeah. play this game at the highest level. But I think you got a real advantage if, if you can throw 97 and you're a shortstop because you, you've got a certain amount of skill if you can play shortstop anyway. Yeah. Uh, now you got to hone it and take it to the pitching side and, and learn that side of the diamond. But um,
1: Who stole your MVP? <clears throat>
2: Anybody that v- got voted
1: higher
0: than me? No, but I thought I thought Ichiro. We
1: had a... Ichiro, what was it that Ichiro <coughs> stole from you have had a? He stole my MVP. That son of a of Brett was named
0: is. MVP of that Seattle team in two thousand one. Yet Ichiro won MVP. In That's American the Lake.
1: one.
2: It's unfair. I couldn't beat the hype. I'm sorry, could not beat to you.
1: that. The but Japanese
0: my... media was overwhelming.
2: <laughs> 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 See. You sit here just b- bitter in my
1: old. I'm days. sorry. I was,
0: okay, here, here's an interest. I was going to let you go, but I got to ask you about this because the other day it threw me off. The other day, Ryu's interpreter came out with you know Ryu standing right next to him saying, um, Degrom's the Cy Young Award winner. I believe he's the the best pitcher in the National League. He should win the Cy Young. And then my son and I are watching and going, "What if that's not what Ryu said at all? <laughs> what if, what if uh, Ryu just banged Degrom? I mean, banged uh, his interpreter's girlfriend or something?" And he said that because we we're like, if you look at the numbers, Ryu it has better numbers than Degrom. It was yeah. so strange for him to come out and say that. Was it weird? That's having, a culture thing. Was yeah. it weird having an interpreter now? hanging around the clubhouse? Because as you said, it's a team. It's I a actually, family, I loved it, No, I, I,
2: I liked Ichiro's interpreter. Alan Didn't get in the way. He's a good kid. No, he knew his place. Uh, he knew when to beat it. he <laughs> was, it was a so good strange. guy. He was a good guy. Ichiro could speak fluent English. He was using yeah. the yeah. interpreter as a cover. He didn't want to talk to you clowns.
3: <laughs> yeah, brother. man. I, I don't want to talk to the press today. I'll just
2: fake like I can't speak.
0: Oh, that's hilarious. No,
2: but Ichiro, he, he, from the beginning... He always spoke pretty good English. No, yeah. he wasn't fluent at the beginning, but he could understand. If me and him were going to have a conversation and I was to slow everything down, he knew yeah. what I was saying. Yeah. The longer he played, he could have a full-on conversation with you, but he still had the interpreter for, you know, maybe maybe when you're a star, you just have interpreters. It's, <laughs> it's funny. part of the posse. And this will be it for me. I want an interpreter. <laughs> but Man, <laughs> it could have helped me over the years if I'd had an interpreter. Imagine. And I wouldn't have said some of the things. I well... I-
1: But you know, you say that about the media, and and Dave and I have this conversation all the time about how the game has changed, and I I genuinely feel bad for guys coming into the media now because, Brett, we said we hit it off with you, you came into KFMB, we just met you, we bullshitted off the air, there were a couple throwaway lines that struck Dave and I so funny, but in today's media, that shit may be repeated. You came in with us, you're hanging out, we're fucking around, we would never do that, we're not gonna hang a guy out to dry. Kevin Towers used to come in, Boach would come in, Caminetti would come in. Well that was your that was your lifeline. Right.
2: You you burned me, you're not talking to me anymore. If,
1: and or actually Now it's a story. Right.
2: Now it's a story and it's headlines and it's money. And everybody wants right. everybody wants that gotcha. I gotcha right. moment. But that's you watch cable cable T V. Yeah. Everything's a gotcha now. Nothing's legitimate. Everything is they just throw a bunch of stuff up and, and we we have to break it down as individuals. It's it's I'm not saying it's that way as much in sports, but it's just the culture of the day. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying media. I have a lot of friends through the years that were great and and professional and did an interview. But if I said off the record, that means off the record. And they honored that. And that's the way it should be. You know, my grandfather's day, he used to tell me stories. The press used to travel with them. Yeah,
1: Phil Collier you know nowadays
2: with the whole social media and and all that stuff it's like man as a player there's nowhere to really kind of hang out because everything could be caught on camera you can't have a good time if a guy wants to go down the street and he he chooses tonight to go have a couple beers anything could be on instagram tomorrow and it's like uh, as much as social media and and the internet and the technology and the knowledge we have. I mean, it's amazing to me. I can just push a button and it just takes my car to where I'm supposed to go. Those are, those things are awesome. Or I need a uh, foot massager and Amazon. will have it in my backyard for 1495 tomorrow. tomorrow. Those things are unbelievable, but it's also, I think taken away a lot of people's privacy. And, and like you said, everything is, what can we get you on? What can we get you on? It's like, you know, everything is not a gotcha moment. And I still think there's those guys out there that are, they get it. Yeah. They get that's it. That's good. And, and, you know, I still haven't really, you know, I do interviews time to time. And if I say it's off the record, it's off the record. Yeah. And that's that's, that's called professionalism. And when we're on the record,
1: we're on the record. That's the way we were taught. It doesn't make Dave and I special. We were just yeah, taught and, by guys. You know,
2: and I was telling you about the grant. He goes, the press used to travel us in the train car. Yeah. They were our buddies. Yeah. You know, it wasn't for them to write about what went on the train. Right. This is, we're off. We checked out. We clocked out. Yeah. You report about us on the uh, on the field. Exactly. You know, when we're on the train, we're yeah. just the boys hanging out. And uh, that's the way it should be.
1: But we used to be able to go down and go, uh, just using Brett as an example. Hey, Brett, this is the story I got. Do I have it right? Am I somewhat, exactly? Am exactly. I right? Because I don't want to sound like a dipshit. When right. I come back in here In two days And have you go Dude I see you every day You don't come up right. This is what we got Sent me straight I'm not gonna put your name Attached to it We'll just say Hey we've right. been told I, I
2: had a few t- That happened to me A few times When I was young And um, I never talked to that guy again
3: Yeah
2: You know I was in Cincinnati And I came on the air It was during the strike In 94 And I was the Assistant rep For the Reds And I I got a phone call From a gentleman And he said Hey Brett I want to do a, I said, listen, and I was getting beat up about yeah. the strike, and I I was doing so many interviews. I said, listen, I just want to talk about, I don't want to talk about the strike today. Let's talk about the off-season or whatever. He said, okay. He said, I won't talk about that. And I got on the air, and the first thing he said, Fuck. Was, and I just, you know, if because it, it was over the phone, and he had me there. Yeah. It's like, what am I going to do? Yeah. We just agreed 20 seconds ago, and you go there for the first question. So I kind of danced around it and i never talked to him again yeah wow but that didn't happen very often that's very
0: rare brett we appreciate it it's always a ton of fun You're i appreciate best, you man. coming down that was awesome
2: all right guys thanks for having me
0: thank you very much all right we said uh we said goodbye to brett give him a chance to uh, leave so we can uh, finish uh wrap up the show a little bit some stuff I, got, I want to ask you about but of course we got to thank the people that helped this show go want to thank Dan Williams. First off, thank Dan again for everything he does and in investing his time and money into this show. At the same time, calling Dan, investing with Dan is the smartest thing you can do. Dan's the guy that's going to stretch your money, make it last. Right now, you look at what's going on in the market with all the talk politically of what could happen, what is the best thing to do with your money moving forward. Dan has the answers. It's 858 688 6813 858 688 6813.
1: Man, I got a phone call tonight from somebody very close to me who is going through some financial situations and they are kind of dealing with the IRS. They're dealing with some credit card stuff, the whole thing. And they said, Hey, can we get together because you have dealt with loan stuff in the past? And I said, I absolutely will, but I said, I have to make a quick stop. And I stopped by my house on the way down and drove by this person's house and said, listen, I'm going to see you on Thursday night, but I want you to start looking at this book right now. And Dave, it's not a joke. Yep. It's true. Earlier tonight at about seven o'clock, I gave this person uh, Dan's book, borrow smart, repay smart, because it is so important. This friend of mine is a homeowner. They are, they have a ton of equity in their property But they're dealing with some financial issues and I will help them as much as I can. But I said to them, the person you need to know is Dan Williams. So I I just would recommend it for everybody. The market is important, but especially if you have equity in your property, there are so many different things. And Dan's the guy to teach you. 858-688-6813. And I'll keep you in the loop as to how that moves forward. But yeah. It's just going to be another person, I think, that's going to use Dan's program and has the book tonight. You can get it for free, sandiegolending.us slash Dave Jeff. Get those books tonight because if you don't need them, somebody you know will need them. And just think about how great it will be to get them Dan's help and get them back on their feet. Man. Talk about sleepless nights and everything else. We're going to get them back rolling, and Dan's going to be a big part of that.
0: also want to thank Brian Curry. Brian Curry, again, selling real estate all over San Diego County for more than 20 years. He knows San Diego County better than anyone else. i will tell you exactly what to do with the market. A lot of people saying now's the time to refi. You look at the interest rates. Which way are they going? What should you be doing with your property? I've been spending a lot of time with Brian as he's in the process of selling my house. We're going to put it in the market in just two days. But in the meantime, I've needed a place to move to. And, yeah. and you know what? The best thing about having Brian around because... We go house to house of where I'm going to go next. And man, he points out things so quickly that I wouldn't see with my own eye about, yeah. hey, you have major problems here with these windows. You have major problems here with uh, leaking and where it's going to flood when it rains. And he's saying, you know what, there's probably a crack in the slab here. Let's go to the next one. Let's move on. He sees things that the average person doesn't. And, again, he's great at what he does. Make sure you call Brian Curry, 619-251-1588, 619 two five one one five eight eight
1: well he knows what's going on in your neighborhood because david lived in his house for 31 years <laughs> sean Walchef moves in two blocks away and curry goes let's go i'm dropping boxes off i'll drop the sign in tonight i go god dang sean's a family member and they said hey guess what you butt out so sean i got yelled at uh, sean and his beautiful family move right in, and Curry and Palais were like, we are getting the hell out of here. (laughs) Uh, He can help you. He will help everybody, including this friend of mine who may have trouble moving their house. I said, what are you doing? That's why my guy Brian Curry's here. Man, it's knowing what you don't know, and Dave, when you talked about Brian seeing those things, it it reminds me of Brett talking about seeing pitches. They just see it different, and Brian, are you okay? (laughs) and uh, Brian sees the market different. I've had a really, really major uh, shakeup tonight, my relationship with Sugar, because uh, she left me for Brett Boone, and now Brett Boone's left her, and she's back here trying to win my heart with her one eye, and I don't know that I'm going to give it to her. So I'm sorry I'm a little aggro right now, but I'm having trouble with my favorite one-eyed girl.
0: <laughs> also, Alan Taylor's your guy for the perfect pool. What are you waiting for? That perfect pool's just around the corner. Be ready to go when the weather starts getting warm again. Now is the time to sit there and make the arrangements. Guess what? 619-449-4452. That's the phone number to call Alan Taylor at Made Pools. 619-449-4452. The next warm day could be your best day.
1: Well, what I say, Dave, is I haven't liked the pool for this kind of weather. When it's got a little bit of the chill in the air, yep. but you have that jacuzzi put in. Nicole Eggert's already said, listen, you built the grotto, and I'm calling them down with Tracy Bingham, Donna D'Erico, yes. Carmen Electra. I'm bringing Sharon Tay from Channel 5. I'm bringing Angie Dickinson. <laughs> and uh, and I'm bringing Laura Kane. Yeah. And who else am I bringing? You're uh, pretty good yeah and i'm bringing rose and maggie too and uh vera what (laughs) hey vera you keep it ladylike okay calm down that's all going in all you gotta do is get yourself the tailor-made pool and you're gonna have a bunch of very pretty girls (laughs) scratching at the back door (laughs)
0: Hot sauces and more. Guess what? The perfect barbecue. It starts with hot sauces and more. The big green egg, but also everything you could possibly need to make the barbecue perfect. I was with Brian Curry, as I said the day. We drove right by. He goes, Isn't that where Hot Sauces and More is? I go, Damn right it is. He goes, I'm stopping by as soon as I drop you off. That's the place to go to make your barbecue days that much better. They know exactly what they're doing, and they sell meat now inside the store. Again, it's Thothai Ranch Mall right next to Macy's. You can't miss it. Hot Sauces, the letter N, more.com. Go over and see our good friend Brian.
1: Well, I uh, told you this Sunday night, it's a big WWE event, Hell in a Cell. That means we'll be barbecuing at the house. I had talked about barbecue and swordfish, yeah. but my kid, who has an attention span of 24 seconds, completely forgot the conversation. What? I was like, you just had grilled swordfish. We said we we're going to grill swordfish. When? I'm like, at the brig. Oh, that was good. I go, yeah. Asshole. That's why I said it. So I don't know what the hell I'm grilling. It might just be hot dogs. Who knows? Kid makes me goddamn insane. Nothing more. And I told him, I go, oh, by the way, happy National Sunday. Guess what you're getting for your fake holiday? A fake gift. You're not getting anything. Christ's sake. Enough of this shit. But uh, I'll be grilling on Sunday. Yep. I'll be going by and seeing Brian. And I'll be reminding him that his friend and compadre, Jerry from Pork Belly, has a terrible attitude. He's very salty because Jerry was the one guy who sent me a, a message saying, hey, do you have a link to the Laura Kane podcast? It sounds funny. And then I came on here last week and I said, all these fucking guys light me up for Laura Kane's podcast. Like, it was only Jerry. And uh, he sent me a message last week. He goes, you dick. I knew you were talking to me. Sometimes I do the show in my head for one or two guys because I know whether it's Steve Woods or Jerry or other buddies of mine, they're just going to be sitting there listening and then they're going to hear themselves get their legs cut out. It's strictly for my own amusement, but Jerry and Brian have been great for my barbecue and needs the, uh, Brian will be great for you at hot sauces and more. So my very, uh, half-hearted public apology to Jerry. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry.
0: And finally, Kyle Flueger, that perfect website's just around the corner. If your business isn't working the way you were hoping it would work and you aren't getting the kind of attention you need, it could be the website. Kyle is the guy to fix it. 619-500-6621. He has a lot of time right now because his Cubs aren't in the postseason. (laughs) 619-500-6621. Oh,
1: man. Well, they're not going back anytime soon. (laughs) It's just a question. Who's going to fuck it up faster, the Cubs or the Padres? (laughs) Uh, one of them will fuck it up. I will say this. The website for org looks great. And uh, just visiting with a buddy of mine at the Rams game yesterday who was saying, hey, man, tell me about the website. I go, I don't have to tell you anything. Go look at it. com looks great. Your website can look the same.
0: Absolutely. All right. Got to ask you before we get on out of here. Um, the Padres season ended yesterday. Uh-huh. Of course, it ended on a low note. Rod Ross was not the spark they were looking yeah. for. Holy shit. But the fact that they, they finish in last place, does that make any difference at 100%. all of last place, second, place. I'm with you. I think finishing in last place is about as demoralizing as it can get.
1: Well, and I think today what you saw from from angry Ron Fowler, who uh, he didn't have his battle of little bighorn. He was little big mouth. Uh, what you saw to Ron Fowler today, though, Dave, is I I can understand where the frustrations coming from, from Ron and whether or not he, he regrets it in three days like, a lot of people do. I know how it is. Dave, you know how it is. You get frustrated, you say something, and then you calm down, and you're like, ah, oh, shit. But, man, you I know what Ron's frustration comes from and, and where it comes from, and, and the frustration is that the, this year was – I mean, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, but remind yourself, this was supposed to be not the first step, but a major step in turning – the tide for this franchise. The money that had been invested, the promises that had been made, the last couple of years with Hosmer and Machado, and it was supposed to be an off-season where the, where the foundation had already been laid. And the next step was going to be in a couple of weeks, whether it was the next free agent or Mackenzie Gore, the idea of Gore coming up, Patino coming up, and then the next part of that was supposed to be the excitement of the uniforms bringing back the Brown. And I know what Ron's thinking tonight is he's like, fuck, we're not any better than we were before we invested 60 million in, in the, the Cuban kids that we signed. We don't know if any of these fucking guys are going to be impact guys. We put money out for Myers and he's a fucking dick. We put money out for Hosmer and he's shit. And we put money out for Machado, and he doesn't fucking care. And if I'm Ron, man, I get it. Because say what you want about Ron, whether he he did the right thing or the wrong thing today, goddamn, man, that is a guy who is such the polar opposite of Dean Spanos. That fucking guy wants to win. And whether his approach is the right one or the wrong one, man, you can debate it all day. I don't know what the answer is. Time will tell. But what Ron knows tonight when he puts his little head on his little pillow is this. Nobody gives a fuck about your uniforms. Nobody gives a shit. Your team sucks. Your GM's a control freak. You're turning into Lord of the Flies over there. We all know you're going to fuck up and hire the wrong manager. You're going to hire another fucking hitting coach. You're not going to do jack shit. And next year, you're going to be another 72-win season and you have not got to the core of the problem. You have to go to the core of the problem, and Ron needs to realize the core of the problem is A.J. Preller. You needed to pull the plug. When you look at what the Angels did today with Brad Ausmus, Brad Ausmus got one year in a year when Shohei Otani couldn't pitch, when Tyler Skaggs was found by his team dead, when Mike Trout got injured, guess what the Angels said? Fuck you Beat it with two years left on the deal. He's out. Joe fucking Madden won a World Series. He is beloved in Chicago. When I went to that Cubs game, everybody wearing Joe Madden T-shirts. Theo said, guess what? You're fucking
0: gone. Just by the way, the best five years the Cubs have had since 1909. Right. And they still said, see you later.
1: Dave Dombrowski was the president of the Red Sox who won the World Series. Red Sox management came to them and said, hey, we got to get below the luxury tax. Dave Dombrowski apparently is saying, look, man, that means we got to get rid of Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez. I don't think it makes sense. Hey, Dave, guess what? You can go fuck yourself. You're out. Yep. But for whatever reason, the guy who gave the extension to Will Myers, the guy who signed Ian Kinsler, the guy who fucking just, yes, had some good moves, but had a lot
0: of fucked up moves. Garrett Richards. Hosmer, yeah, I mean, I, I don't mean, know Garrett bad, Richards, but these Dave. are bad. I do. That's a bad contract. Well, we'll see next year. Well, what do you expect in Cy Young? Because if you look at the games played, Garrett What'd Richards has say? played the last six years. Garrett Richards doesn't play anymore. He hasn't well, played in a long fucking time. Well, he was back. Okay, <laughs> okay. Well, good. He's been on the six-year disabled list.
1: Well, great. And next year, when he's twelve and twelve oh, with a three-point-seven, sell your you eat, on another. You're form. gonna eat your fucking words.
0: I would like to. I don't want to place another fucking bet on the Padres oh, losing. Bullshit. This was the easiest bet of all time. You're the fucking biggest phony when it's it comes to this team. The biggest goddamn dude. Here, here's the issue. Don't you? I'll give you the only highlight. The only oh, highlight oh, yeah. the Padres had the whole fucking year. What was that? The Navy Seals? No. <laughs> the only Padre. The only Padre highlight of God 2019. Damn. This is gonna be is, a short highlight video. What's Mike Palmeiro gonna do? <laughs> He's gonna roll up his. Don't even bother rolling up your sleeves. We're gonna have you out of here in four seconds, Mike. You asshole. What? Look, here you go. I
1: don't like the personal attack on Pomerantz. Well, right, let's
0: just point out what's the Padres winning percentage since the hiring of Mike Pomerantz.
1: Not good. Fucking God. Goddamn. Okay. What does Steve Quiz need to do?
0: The only highlight Rick is Rick Willis that-
1: is on the fucking beach and Mike underachieving Pomerantz just gets a lifetime contract. <laughs> oh, you are a son of a bitch. All to right. that.
0: Honestly, the only highlight that the Padres had all year was yeah. finding out that Fernando Tatis is a stud, that he can play at the major league level.
1: Yeah, and he lost him for 94 uh, games. Uh, so
0: he, he, did, he only played half the season. But at least you learned that for Tatis is what we thought he was going to be, if not better. Am I right? And yeah. the deal is Yates had a surprising year, but you didn't trade him when you had a chance to trade him and get something for him. Now he's a fucking 32-year-old guy that you blew it unless you trade him to the off season. Fuck! <laughs> But otherwise, dude, there there's a lot of shit, man, on that team. I mean, there just is. Theo said, for you to win, you have to have either B or A players at every position. Yeah, and they don't even have B players at these positions. It's
1: funny, Dave. When the Fowler thing broke today, I was like, dude, shut the fuck up. And you know what is the night? <laughs> like, shut the fuck up. I was just shut up. Were you screaming at your radio. <laughs> yeah, fuck. You're turning into Dan Snyder. Shut up.
0: That's a good call.
1: Well, but you know what, Dave? As as the hours have gone by, yeah. and you realize that he's the guy signing the checks for all that, you go, you know what, man? Yeah, five hours ago, I was like, dude, shut the fuck up. And now you kind of look at it, and you go, dude, I get it.
0: But are you to the point where you're saying you're the guy that hired Preller and stayed with Preller, that unless you make a change, yeah, it's never going to change?
1: Yeah, I mean, when he's saying in 2020, heads are going to roll, and it's going to start with him, Oh, you're jumping! You're jumping ship, Ron. Oh shit! Where are you going? Bullshit! You get back here.
0: Do you see any way that this team is contending for a wild card right now? Next no. year? No. So they are pushing the goalposts back, like everybody's saying.
1: Well, but I do think, I do think, Dave, they are owed the off season because whether the moves were right or wrong, yeah. And Hosmer, I didn't really, Hosmer to me was never that exciting. I didn't, I didn't really do it. Dude, I was all in on Machado. So I can't tell you now. I was too.
0: I was just disappointed by Machado.
1: So was I, but I can't tell you the Hosmer signing. I just remember going, God, it seems like a lot of dough for that guy. And he seems like a good player. Machado to me, I felt like you were signing a franchise player. And so, because he wasn't what you hoped for, um, I can't. I can't change my opinion on the Machado signing today. I just can't. So they went for it, man. They went for it. I
0: was very pleased with that. I was very upset by the way I thought he went about his business, especially the second half when he said it was, It's hard to stay focused and. And stay interested in August and September when you don't have a chance to you, win. But it's like, fuck, dude, you're a professional.
1: But isn't there a part when you say it like that that explains where Ron's coming from?
0: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with what Ron said at all. Ron said, said it was all.
1: cathartic. Yes. Ron went in when AC called him two hours later. He backed off the Hedges comment. I don't have any problem with ripping Hedges. This fucking town. God damn. Stop being fuck Hey, you're fucking sheep. There's two parts of that job: it's offense and defense. Jesus Christ, right. you fucking guys that plead Hedge's case—he can't fucking hit. Like I was at the Rams game yesterday, yep. and I have a couple buddies who are Rams fans, and they're preaching to me about Gurley, how great Gurley is. I go, "Good, he can't run. He's a running back. He can't fucking run. Like, figure it out." Uh, and I'm not—I'm not—you're wrong. I'm not saying Mahia's the guy. I'm just saying Hedges, goddammit, isn't the guy. At what point do you have to say, if you're Ron, when do you say it about AJ? If you're this fan base, when the fuck do you finally say Hedges
0: isn't the guy? Stop falling in love with the guys in the oh uniform if they aren't pulling their weight. That's what that's what the issue is. We fall in love with anybody that puts on that Padre uniform.
1: God damn. Everybody but Kinsler.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Boy, no shit. And you know what? Kinsler won a couple games for him this year. But Kinsler's signing was a bad signing.
1: Well, I was told by people in the media that there's a couple of mouth breathers on that team. And the first name mentioned was
0: Ian Kinsler. Really? Boy, he's a...
1: I've never met him. Yeah. I don't know anything about him. Is
0: Kinsler one of those guys where, hey, guess what? Another guy that came to San Diego to retire?
1: I just heard he's a dope. <laughs> I'm not reporting that. We'll just see ball hit ball, stupid. What? (laughs) I was surprised by that. I mean, he he was good with Texas, good in Detroit. Yeah. Terrible for the Angels.
0: Terrible for the Angels. And the Angels knew it. Terrible for here. Yep. And hell, the Red Sox would have swept the Dodgers if it wasn't for Kinsler throwing the fucking ball away. Uh, He's the one that pushed that game to 18 innings. I've never met the guy. I don't
1: know anything about him. But I was getting a, a scouting report on how these guys are for the media. And I, I was not given. I, I'm a guy above insulting people. I think that's one thing that's been a standard of this show. <coughs> you fucker. <laughs> you fucking dick. <laughs> but, yeah, they were like, oh, yeah, he's kind of a dope. I was like, what? I thought he was the... The uh, the cutty veteran. Like the leader out there. Like, nah, wrong guy. There's all right, no Tim Tuffle What are we coming back next? We're going to come back Wednesday. We'll okay. have a full review. I went and saw Marshall Silver the other night. I think cool. Dave and I are quitting this podcast because the real money is being made hypnotizing all you dumb shit. I like it. Deeper and deeper. Deeper and deeper. When you wake up, you're going to feel terrific in every way. And now, when I wake up, the person whose neck I'm touching right now, when you wake up, every time I say the word Dave, you're going to say, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Every time I say Dave, you're going to wake up and say, shut the fuck up. Sleep. Everybody, wide awake. Wide awake, feeling great. Hey, this applause is for you. I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Fuck. Deeper and deeper. All I need is perfectly quiet for two minutes. <laughs> it was so funny. We got to go. All right. We got to think about uh, who would we hypnotize. Coach. Oh, hey, Dave, I got to tell you. What you might not know is I've already been deeper and deeper for about 15 years. And nobody fucking woke me up out of it. <laughs> the fucking guy wasn't even on today. The, the, how does this shit happen in yeah. ninety-seven-three? The day after... The biggest clusterfuck in the history of clusterfucks. You have Woods. Yeah. Working at Whataburger. <laughs> guy posting what. Oh, hey, listen. I know there's been a lot of talk about why I came out here. But I'll tell you this. My boy went five innings tonight. Got the win. I talked to him. <laughs> walked nobody. Struck out Is four. Right. Right. I said, how are you feeling? He goes, fuck, I can go tomorrow. Is I'll that what out? he said? Yeah. <laughs> Great. I was excited for him, but he's not on today. And then middays, fucking coach isn't on. Who filled in for him? Um, Togerson? No. I think it's the guy who runs uh, the self-storage on Murphy (laughs) Canyon across from Chargers Park. (laughs) I don't know. They got a bunch of fucking ham and eggers at that place. But yeah, I'm like, where the fuck's coach today? That's hey, insane. been a long been a long grind dave yeah i needed, we, a, I needed a couple of days
0: <laughs> so when we come back on wednesday we'll we'll talk of course what's gone in the playoffs also, i do want to talk about Boch's last day yep. with, with the giants as well all right all right again thanks to brett boone we'll talk to you soon